Lord, that is our prayer, our simple prayer tonight. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, you came once as a humble babe and you will return again as a mighty king. But we ask you to come by your spirit tonight in this place. Lord, if we don't have that, we have nothing. So we're desperate for you to come and make your word alive to us, Lord. So we welcome your presence in this place, Lord. We thank you that you are the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that you were born for one reason, and that is to save us from our sins and bring us home to our Heavenly Father. So we give you the glory tonight. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for this time in your word. Amen. You may be seated. I've always wanted to do one of those um, interviews where you go around like Times Square in New York City and you ask people questions about what they think about such and I think different late night talk shows do that. I want to ask people, what is the Bible? And I think you get a whole host of interesting answers and you get a lot of a diversity of answers. And I think a lot of people would probably say, I don't know, it's like some instruction manual or something like that. You're supposed to follow the rules in it, I guess. And, you know, maybe stay on God's good side and he'll let you into heaven when you die. Or some people would say, I don't know, I think it's like a bunch of boring laws that fell out of heaven or something. Some people might say, well, it's mythology, it's superstition. Or some people would say, it's uh, this thing that people with really fancy robes and big hats use to keep people under their control and get money from them. You get a whole host of different answers. But I want to tell you tonight, I want to make a claim and I want to tell you that what the Bible is, it's actually, it is a literary collection of books, but it's telling the story of two overlapping realms, the heavenly realm and the earthly realm, the spiritual realm and the physical realm, the unseen realm and the realm that we see with our eyes when we look around the room tonight. And I want to remind us tonight that Christmas Christmas is about the good news that heaven's light has pierced the veil of darkness and shone into the earth. And I want to talk about how those two things interact. Luke is uh, our author tonight of our gospel, and Luke is very interested in these things, about how heaven and earth interact. And so he starts telling this story about the Roman emperor who was uh, a fellow, we, they called him the, the, the Caesar, Augustus Caesar. This is a fellow who is actually the adopted son and heir of Julius Caesar, so for the history nerds in here. And he was a pretty wicked tyrant, like most of the Roman emperors. And Luke tells us that he decrees that there is going to be a census of all the Roman world. Now, why would he do a census? Taxation, baby. Bring in the big bucks. And so this is a mandatory sentence. But Luke wants us to see in just a moment that heaven has its own storyline and it's about to intersect with earth's. So if you want to follow along with me for a minute in this passage, we're going to look at a few verses from Luke chapter two tonight. Chapter four tells us mentions the city of David. The passage mentions the city of David a number of times. And the reason that Luke gives us that detail, it's a very important one. And it's because about a thousand years before uh, Jesus Christ walked the earth, God had promised King David, who was an Israelite king, that his throne would be established forever. And throughout what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, there's prophecy after prophecy written anywhere between 400 and a thousand years before Jesus ever walked the earth, that this ruler of Israel 
would come and rule over his people and restore justice and order and beauty and and, uh, all of those things and godliness. And he was going to come from Bethlehem. Okay, so those details are very important. Okay, so here's what's happening in the story. From an earthly standpoint, Joseph is just taking a mandatory journey to go register his name for this census. But you see, God is at work through all of it because heaven's storyline is actually being carried forward through this census because Joseph is going up to the city of David where Jesus will be born, the one who will sit on the throne forever and ever and ever. And so right under the nose of this wicked ruler who's just wanting to overtax people, the merciful and gracious king of heaven and earth is being born in a manger. It's incredible. It's incredible what Luke is telling us with this story. C.S. Lewis, the English uh, author, once remarked how Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed in disguise right in the middle of enemy-occupied territory. I love that. So here's where the story goes. They're traveling. They get to Joseph's hometown. There's no guest rooms, okay? So guest rooms in the houses back then were shared. The upper part of the guest room was for the humans, and the lower part of the guest room was kind of like the place where the animals hung out. So there was no... The guest room was all packed out, and so they were sleeping or probably staying with the animal part of the guest room. So hence the manger and all of that. So it's not the, it's not the Ritz Carlton by any means. So I was reading this passage this week and it says this in verse seven, that she wrapped him in cloths after she has baby Jesus and she placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now I want to kind of look at this metaphorically or, or uh, as an analogy for, as an allegory for a moment. And I was reading this and I thought, how often does Jesus come to visit you or me or our churches to see if he's going to be welcomed and he finds a no vacancy sign on our hearts? The church today, the church today in the Western world, more than anything, is probably plagued with a lack of expectation and desire to encounter Jesus. This is where we need to heal as a people. You see, do you know what would happen? Like if if God's people, I don't know if you've ever read the New Testament, but you should if you haven't. And you should read about the early church. Because I wonder what would happen in our American churches where we think we have church so figured out and it's so spruced up and we've got our programs and we have to follow everything perfectly and this, that, and the other thing. I wonder what would happen in churches in America today if we actually met and expected Jesus to show up. What if we met and he showed up? We, we got together and we said, we're going to pray until we pray, until we pray, until we feel and we know that he's here in our midst. So I don't know where everybody is tonight in this room, whether you're a Christian or not, or whether you're, you're, you're uh, Episcopalian or Catholic or Methodist or non-denominational. I don't know who, you, who, who some of you are and I don't know where you are, but I can tell you this, that tonight... Jesus is knocking on the door of your life. He says this himself in the book of Revelation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anybody who opens it and welcomes me, I will come in and share a meal with them. It's a picture of friendship. So my prayer for you tonight is that you actually have an encounter with him and that you feel him stirring in your heart to the point where you say, I need to open the door because this is the answer to my life. 
Okay, here's what happens next in the story. There are shepherds, which was, by the way, about, you know, the lowest rung on the ladder of the economy, the job market at that time. And heaven breaks in. Okay, so the way that I imagine this is like, you know, we usually picture it like up in the sky. But in the Bible, heaven and earth are just overlapping and people have encounters face to face with angelic creatures and heavenly creatures. And so I imagine it kind of like this. It's like a supernatural zipper just sort of unzips and suddenly you can see behind the veil. And there is something there. There is something there, friends, and it is around us. It is everywhere around us. And so heaven breaks in. But notice it's not in the courts of the emperor. And it's not even in the Jewish temple that the glory of God is manifest. It's among some humble and lowly shepherds who are working out in the field in the middle of the night. And suddenly God's radiant glory begins to shine all around them. And they have an angelic visitation. So God reveals himself to the humble and lowly. Jesus in his own life, you see him, usually when he's with the elites, he's usually rebuking them. And calling them out for their sin and their unbelief and their hardness of heart. But when, but he's also accused constantly because he dines with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and people who are on the, who are on the lowest rung of the ladder in their society. You see, God is not a God who is waiting for you to get yourself all cleaned up and all super religious and deciding that you can finally part ways with some of your favorite sins and then he might consider talking to you. That's not who the God of the Bible is. The God of the Bible comes into your life sovereignly and he begins to speak to your heart and he meets you where you are in all of your sin and all of your brokenness and sometimes even in your unbelief and begins to shake you alive and call your name and say, wake up. I'm here. I'm here to rescue you. We had a reading from Titus chapter 3 tonight. You know, so many people, uh, 71% of Americans go by the name Christian. Isn't that an interesting statistic? But about 7% of them actually have a biblical worldview and believe the things that God's word says. It's incredible. 7% of 71% of this country believe that The Bible is true that what we are is sinners in need of a Savior who can save us by grace, that we can't earn our way to heaven. But so many people, even those who call themselves Christians, think that they can earn their way into God's presence into heaven by being what? A good person or somebody who attends church. And there are people who attend church all their life and they have never run to the feet of Jesus and said, I'm a sinner and I need to be rescued. And Jesus always spoke that the one condition for entrance into the kingdom of God, the one condition to have eternal life, God's quality of life come and live in you, was this. He always said, come to me. Come to me. Like, that's it. Come to me. Put your trust in me. And so what Jesus is looking for is not for you to get yourself all cleaned up and religious and, uh, and then maybe God will consider you. He's looking for a humble and lowly heart that says, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. That's the gospel, friends. That's why this little baby that we celebrate tonight came into the world. He came into the world and from the, the, the very moment that he was conceived, his life was marked with a destiny. 
And throughout his whole life as an adult, throughout the three years that he ministered publicly, the thing that maybe he spoke the most about was his own death. That's kind of weird, isn't it? (laughs) Like for somebody who's really popular and multitudes follow him around. But the thing that he spoke more than anything about, aside from the kingdom of God, was the fact that he was going to die. And we had this reading from Titus tonight. Chapter 3, and I just want to look at it for a second because it gets at the gospel so beautifully. And, and this is St. Paul, and he's writing after the time of Jesus, and Jesus had ascended back to be into heaven. And Paul's reminding his people what the gospel is, and he says, When the kindness and love of God appeared... Like that, like the kindness and love of God is not a vague notion or some sort of vague spiritual force that you connect to. It literally appeared in a human body who lived his life for you, died for you and rose again so that you could be forgiven and have eternal life. So the kindness and love of God actually appeared. And Paul says this, and I want you to get this tonight. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done. That means this. You cannot. Earn your way into heaven, into God's presence by being a good person and doing good deeds. I like good people and I want everybody to be a good person and to do good deeds. And I hope every Christian would be a good person and do good deeds. We're all not really great at it all the time. But what the what the gospel is, is that that doesn't you don't earn your way into heaven. Because you see, there was a, there was at the, at the dawn of human history, there was a couple who kind of messed it up for the rest of us. And they sort of like let this infection into the world called sin. And it's kind of like not just a bad thing that you do. It's kind of like a power that you wrestle with all your life and you need to be rescued from it. And that's what Jesus came for, friends. I'm here to tell you tonight that heaven pierced the darkness of earth. It ripped it aside and he came in the eternal son of God because he was the only one who could save us from our sins. And he came for you and he knew your name while he was knitting you together in your mother's womb. And he came and humbled himself. The Bible says that Jesus, okay, little theology, is the divine son of God, eternal son of God. He set aside his glory. And he, he didn't stop being God, but he humbled himself and took on humanity. We call that the incarnation because he went into the flesh and lived a fully human life and laid down his own life as a sacrifice and took the punishment for our sins, for everything that every angry rage, fit of rage you've had, every time you, you cussed somebody out, every time you cheated on your, your spouse, every time you got drunk and, and everything that you ever did. He was born to cleanse you from that and to heal you and save you from that power and to give you a new life. That's good news. The word gospel means good news. And that's why these angels appear to these shepherds and these shepherds are what? Terrified. Why are they terrified? Have you ever thought of that? Why are they terrified? When I when my mom had Thomas Kincaid paintings on the wall or whatever it was, heaven was like clouds and softness and angels kind of playing harps and there was wings and all kinds of things. Why are these shepherds terrified? It's because when the glory of God manifests in all of its beauty and radiance and perfection and holiness, you realize how far you fall short of that. 
And so this is why, like in the Gospels, when Jesus first meets his disciple Peter, who's kind of a bumbling idiot most of the most of the storyline, he meets him. But Peter has the right response to Jesus because Jesus fills Peter's net supernaturally with fish. And Peter realizes in that moment, this is more than a man. And you know what Peter's response is? He falls down before Jesus and he says, go away from me, for I'm a sinful man. And Jesus, you know what Jesus says to Peter? He says the same thing that the angels say to the shepherds. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So the shepherds proclaim, or the the, uh, angels proclaim to the shepherds, this is not a visitation of judgment. Don't worry, you're not going to get incinerated. This is actually a visitation of mercy. God is pouring out his mercy on the face of the earth in this baby, in this Christ child. Now look with me at what the angel, the, the, the uh, words that the angel speaks, because they're very important. The word angel just means messenger, so it's some kind of a heavenly messenger from God. They probably look like a human, basically, but bigger and more glorious and all of that. The Bible never says that they have wings. That's a, I don't know, a fairy tale. But, okay, so this angel is standing there, and they're falling down on their faces, most likely, and they're terrified, like, don't kill me, don't kill me, we're just sinners. And the angel says, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news. This is good news. This is a proclamation of good news. It's going to cause great joy. Okay. Now that now they're kind of like starting to unshield their faces and peek out and look. Okay, great joy. Well, that doesn't sound so bad. And so the angel continues and he tells them why there's good news. You see now you said all oh, the preachers are already talking about sin and sinners and how we're da 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 da. But you won't understand and ever receive and have an appreciation for the good news unless you know the bad news first. It's that we're we're lost and we're broken and we're sinners apart from God. We have no hope. Okay, but the good news is this: it's the message of the angels. The good news is this today in the town of David. Okay, there's the the David thing again. A savior has been born to you. A savior. Friends, you don't need a guru. You don't need a rabbi or a teacher or a pastor. Or an expert. You need a savior. I need a savior. I need to be rescued. And the good news is that. There's a savior and he was born and he lived in human history and he's alive today. And so they said he is the savior. He's been born to you. He is the Messiah. That's a word that means anointed one It is the one that God promised many years before who would come and fulfill all of the prophecies. But then they use one other title for him. And this is where it gets hard for us. He's the Lord. You see, the early Christians, they knew something about Jesus's nature The word Lord, when the Hebrew scriptures, okay, one God, the creator of all, that I won't even say the holy name just in case there's Jews in here who would be offended by that, but they would call him Adonai, okay, because of the sacred name. And that means Lord, okay? That was God's name for the Jews. And now that name is being transferred onto this child. So just think about this with me for a minute. This child's in a manger. He's just wrapped in some cloths and there's probably pigs and sheep and cattle and all that around him. And this is the eternal divine son of God whose glory is so radiant you wouldn't know how you wouldn't be able to stand in his presence. He humbles himself, sets that all aside and gives himself over to the fragility and the vulnerability of human flesh. 
That's the, that's the Christmas miracle. That's the Christmas miracle. That is the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appearing. And so this proclamation from the angels is letting us know about the first coming of the Holy One, the Son of God, Jesus. And in the Bible, we read about his coming and it becomes what we might call an age of mercy and grace. God is literally extending his hand out to his enemies to say, I want to reconcile you to myself. Well, how does that happen? Believe in the gift that I gave you in my son. Put your whole trust in him. Turn your eyes to him. Believe in him. There's a verse, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, God proved his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You get the, get the, the timeline right on that, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's all grace. There's all kinds of talk going around right now about gifts. I know my kids are chomping at the bit to wake up tomorrow morning. But the word grace literally means gift. It's not something that you can earn. But it is something that you have to voluntarily receive. And that is the grace of the gospel that Jesus Christ died to save sinners. That he himself is the gift. He himself is the grace. He himself is the love and the kindness of God embodied. And so at this point in history, we're in between two comings of Jesus. We just finished celebrating the church season of Advent where we actually celebrate his second coming and we meditate on that, uh, that reality. And the Bible tells us that God's kingdom right now in history is advancing through the world by the power of God's spirit in and upon his church the followers of Jesus, to make the name of Jesus famous in the world so that people can call upon him as Savior. And that's the period of time that we are living in right now. And the message is to go out that there's good news. Now, a lot of Christians might present the gospel to you and you might be like, man, that's bad news. (laughs) And I'm sorry if that's happened. But the gospel is good news that right now, while you're alive in human history, you have a chance to come back into God's presence and to live your life there. And Jesus, when he returns again, it won't be in the humility of a baby's flesh. It will be in his radiant glory coming on the clouds of heaven as the divine Son of God, the Savior, but also the judge of all the earth. And so you see, this is a history timeline. And in between Jesus' first coming, which we celebrate tonight, and his second coming, we're somewhere in between there. And all of us are faced with the opportunity, that's what I'm going to call it, to call on his name. And what will happen is that when you do that, all of heaven rejoices. We read now that after the angel begins to speak to the shepherds, all of a sudden a whole bunch of other heavenly dudes show up. It says heavenly host. That means the armies of heaven. So these are like supernatural beings that are manifesting. They're kind of showing themselves through the veil of earth and the shepherds. 
are there watching them, I imagine a little bit awestruck, and the angels and the heavenly hosts, they begin to glorify God. And Jesus said this once. He said, he told a parable about a man who lost his little sheep. There's a window of it right up there. And the man went out and he left the 99 sheep to go and find the one because he cared about that one sheep. And then Jesus said this, I tell you that there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, who turns to God, than 99 others who are already righteous. And so I love that tonight we get rejoicing in heaven because it made me, it reminded me that that's actually a picture of what happens when somebody says yes to Jesus. That I want the life that he has to offer me, that only he can give me. I want the forgiveness and the reconciliation with God, my Father, that only he can give me. And all of heaven breaks out in uproarious cheering and laughter and song. That's amazing. So the good news of Christmas is this. God's mercy has been revealed, number one. His mercy has been revealed. He's extending right now in this period of human history his mercy to every rebel, sinner, unbeliever, everyone. Number two is this. It's free. It's a gift. Number three is this. It will completely change your life. I don't care if you are five or 95 in this place tonight. Your life can change tonight. Because Jesus is alive. And when you put your trust in him, things start to change in here. You don't make yourself good and then he accepts you. He accepts you as you are when you turn to him and he begins to make you good. He begins to break the chains that have been around your heart for years and years and years. Chains of addiction. Chains of the endless vicious cycle of sin. Jesus will break that off you like that. He's amazing. Jesus did speak of um, sin and unbelief in very severe terms. He took it very seriously. But he also made it clear that his loving arms are open wide to everyone. And the only condition of salvation was that we would believe on the one whom he sent. Jesus Christ, the righteous. The one who lived a perfect, spotless life. And offers his record his spotless record to you for free. But it's not a condition. There's no condition to God's grace. But to posture yourself to receive it, to say yes to Jesus, you have to turn away from everything else. Everything else that hinders your walk with him has to go because Jesus the eternal Son of God is not just a gentle lamb. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. You know, in our culture right now, it is so unpopular, like the idea of authority and submitting yourself to someone else. But you know, that's part of the disease that is, is eating us alive, is that we need a leader. It's just that we've had some bad ones. And so we reject the idea of submitting and following a leader or a Lord. But I'm here to tell you that there's a good one who has all of your best interests in mind. And sometimes the way that he requires you to live can be painful because 
your old sinful nature won't like the, some of the things that Jesus does in your heart, but what he does is he brings about a total transformation in you by ushering you back into the presence of God where you were created to live with security and blessing and abundance and joy. Having um, young children has taught me more about God and the, the gospel of Jesus Christ than three years of seminary training. We were at the breakfast table a while ago, and um, a couple weeks ago, and my kids came up, and I was making uh, sm- fruit smoothies, and my daughter's not a big fan, and uh, she was kind of cranky about it. And I, so I said, oh, you know, I said something. Got a crank at the table this morning or something like that. And she did not like that. And so she got up. She's five. Not, <laughs> she's five. So she got up. She went to her room. Ran in her room. Closed the door. Hard. I thought, shoot. I probably shouldn't have said that. <laughs> so I got up. And I walked. And I followed her to her room. I went in. She was inside her closet. I could kind of see in there. And she's like this, facing the wall. I'm doing this. I said, honey, I hurt your feelings when I said that, didn't I? Can I give you a sorry hug? She started to slowly warm up. Came out of the closet. Before we even got back to the table, she was holding my hand saying, can I sit on your lap when we get back to the breakfast table? Each of us is born with a desire to be pursued and reconciled. And sometimes we go for a long, long time in our lives, standing in that dark closet with our face to the wall, turned away from God. Don't need you. Don't need you. I've got my job. I've got my career. I've got my family. Husband, wife, kids, American dream. All I need. I've got my vacations. I'm spiritual. I'm a good person. I don't need you. And God stays in pursuit. And all of those desires in us for joy, eternal joy, that cause us to run on the hamster wheel of pleasure and entertainment, all of those desires can really only be fully satisfied by a God who wants to wipe away your sins and pour out his spirit on your life. Merry Christmas. Heaven has invaded the earth. And by the power of God's spirit, it is still here among us. God was born as a man. He lived and he died for you. And he's alive today calling out to you. So we're going to stand and the, as the angels did in response to the proclamation of the good news, we're going to worship for a few minutes. I invite you to stand now. And as we go into this time of worship, I want to ask you, I want to ask those of you who are here tonight and you are really ready.